Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that would have won the lip sync battle if only it hadn't picked The Time to Kill Is Now by Cannibal Corpse as its song. Uh, not because the judges didn't like death metal, but because that song is just a little bit too fast to keep up with, and that shout at the start is longer than that guy you still think about years later. Matt knows exactly what I'm talking about there, don't you, mate? <laughs> Quite. <laughs> I'm to Cannibal Corpse. You know Cannibal Corpse, right? I know Cannibal Corpse. I like Cannibal Corpse. And you know that song. That's, mm-hmm. that's all I'm talking about. What else did yes. you think I was talking about? Well, who knows with you. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a fair assumption. Uh, this is episode 31 of Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast in partnership with NotFest. If you're joining us for the first time, hello, you're very welcome. Yes, I am normally this camp. Uh, every week we take a queer look at metal, going over the things that we see differently because we're queer, bringing you a viewpoint you didn't know about music you do know, and providing a... Qu- a platform for queer people who make metal happen to talk about their experiences. We also might speak out against some anti-LGBT plus shit in the scene if we see it. And also we will definitely bring some cool music to your attention while we're doing all the above. Uh, I am Tom Dare and with me, as he is every week, is a man bringing serious bi-visibility to the scene. Uh, by which I mean he's bisexual and he's so tall you can see him from miles away, even at festivals. <laughs> Matt Rushton, how are you doing this week? I'm good, mate. Yeah, you only found out about that my height because I those violet cold shoes, which you know I still haven't got. You still not got them. I'm in no, my yeah. violet cold t-shirt today, just to really rub it in. Yeah, I finally unpacked my t-shirt and my hoodie um, yesterday, but it's you know, come on, mate, get me my size fucking. Well, what is that an American size now? Seven hundred and fifty-three. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we know we said that we would uh, be bringing you Matt's first chat with a guest this week, uh, but because I was moving house last week and my life has been carnage for the last month, I totally missed that Bride Month was here already uh, and realised there was something we needed to talk about first. So that'll be next week now, and we will begin this week with a section we call Peace of Mind. Uh, And of course, yes, that's an Iron Maiden reference. Uh, This is where we take a burning issue of the day that's relevant to both metal and queerness and thrash it out. Uh, Now, regular listeners will know that this can sometimes mean we're about to talk about something grim. Don't worry, we're not doing that this week. We're not going to talk about stabbing or anything. Um, You may, however, have heard Matt say last week that he doesn't really feel that pride is for him. I also don't really feel that Pride is for me, and as my reasons include some crossover with metal, and as it's Pride Month, I kind of felt we should speak out about it. Uh, Matt, why don't you kick us off? What is it about Pride that makes you feel that metal, that it uh, makes you feel metal is not for you? No, what is it about Pride that makes you feel Pride is not for you? Um, I mean, there's a couple of things, and like, not to want to get this off to a really like depressing start or anything, but I guess my main thing is. I mean the word pride like I don't feel that um I you know would much rather be straight <laughs> um I don't I mean I still don't feel like I can fully like express myself a lot of the time and obviously you know pride is in like festivals and whatever is about that and about sort of being free and expressing yourself however you want and you know no uh, barriers no judgment all that sort of stuff which you know I love that people can go and do that for me I don't feel like I am at that point yet which sort of I don't know like I've been to a couple of pride festivals like with friends and whatever um but I've just still felt a bit I don't know anxious I guess not really able to fully be as you know free as I want to be what is it that's stopping you from being free are you able to put your finger on it 
I don't know. I've get, I mean, I guess, you know, it took me so long to come out to myself um, in the first place. And I, you know, maybe I'm just not as far along that path as I thought I was. Um, you know, like, I'd like to think that I'll get to a point where I can just do whatever I want and be whoever I want. Um, but I don't know, I still feel like there's a part of my identity which I'm still hiding due to, I don't know, I guess nerves and I guess the sort of views I had as a, you know, as a kid and sort of as an adolescent. So it's it's all to do with kind of your, your conditioning up till now and, and how that's made you feel about your own identity. I guess so. I mean, it's, it is hard to put a finger on, um, but I've just, yeah, I've never, you know, I think I've, I've mentioned before about like not being massively into much camp stuff and I think that might be a sort of uh, related to that as well so yeah and then obviously there's the other thing which I guess is more relevant to us with the whole metal sort of thing you know we touched on it last week but pride festivals themselves are like really happy and poppy a lot of the time and we're fucking miserable and listen to ball thrower you know <laughs> well I don't know about miserable um you know kind of insecure and depressed maybe <laughs> but you know I, I wouldn't say i'm kind of naturally miserable i mean, I mean that i certainly find this problem for me you know i i certainly feel that that pride doesn't really want people like me you know it, it is it's very hard to to look at something that is sponsored by barclays and is you know headlined by <laughs> sophie ellis baxter and think that you know that's for the guy in the vader t-shirt you know yeah yeah i mean i guess as well obviously like i am into a lot of pop music and you know go to a lot of like pop concerts or whatever but it's still less a part of my identity like quite a lot than the sort of whole metal stuff um so yeah i mean i get i get where you're coming from there definitely but it's it's also like it's not kind of it's not necessarily an identity thing it's for me it's just a i don't really feel that the way pride is presented these days is i mean i think if i was kind of if this was going back to the 70s when pride really was a complete collection of of misfits if you like it was people who were kind of challenging the fringes of society but because pride has got so shiny and so kind of smiley happy pretty people Airbrushed. yeah very much so um i just kind of i don't really feel the you know, it's basically like going back to being a teenager again. Because when I was that teenager who was struggling to fit in and who didn't really quite have his own little clique, and then metal kind of accepted me weirdness and nerdiness and awkwardness and all, you know, that was a really big thing. And I kind of, I kind of get the feeling looking at Pride like I did with the cool kids at school again, even though you know I'd left school you know, nearly twenty years ago. Now, admittedly. A significant section of that is because of rejection I've had from gay men because I don't fit their idea of what a gay guy looks like. So some of that is not just me in my head, it's experience of other gays. Hmm. Which is, yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, not to like paint us all with a brush, but that is a sort of thing with a lot of the gay culture, I think, when, you know, we've again touched it before, there is a pressure... I think even more so than in like hetero society, if you like to to look a certain way, if you are gay, or to be a certain way, to have certain sort of traits and whatever, and a lot of those stereotypical ones don't really fit with a lot of the stereotypical traits from being a sort of into metal and stuff like that. So it's a weird overlap, you know. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. Now, full disclosure, there was at certainly at one point where my kind of feeling that ca- that uh, pride wasn't for me was to do with internalized homophobia, which was that I had this thing where I was kind of like, oh no, I don't like stuff that's camp. I don't really like that, which was silly because really I'm I'm quite camp myself. But kind of looking at something that was so flagrantly proud of of its gay identity was kind of I didn't really like it. Yeah. But that's long gone now, right? And I can't, and now I I love all that stuff. And you know, I do look at Pride and I look at the other queers enjoying themselves and I think, oh, you must be having a lovely time, isn't that wonderful? You know, and you know, I'm now at the point where I'm marrying someone who's even camper than I am. And you know, when we first <laughs> met had a print of ha- Frankie Howard saying titty ye not on his wall. So, you know, I'm kind of long past that, but I still look at Pride and think, no, that's not for me. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe that's a part of it for me then as well. Maybe I'm still on that path. I mean, like, in terms of generally, I'm quite a confident person with most things in life, but I guess, like, expressing myself fully in my sort of LGBT identity, I'm not. Um, And so, yeah, I guess I look at people at Pride and I... Maybe there's, like, a hint of jealousy that they're at the stage where they've like fully accepted themselves and I'm not there yet but I like after a few drinks sure uh I get like super camp when I'm pissed um I went to I was in Leeds a couple of years ago this podcast occasionally yeah (laughs) I went to Leeds a couple of years ago I went for the cricket um to the cricket all day and didn't realize until I sort of was on the train in the morning that it was also pride festival I was like oh fucking hell um but after drinking at the cricket all day I went out at night and had a lovely time like yeah i can be as gay as i want now <laughs> but sober not so much yeah i mean certainly the, I mean, the jealousy thing i can certainly understand because i definitely had that myself for a while um not now i mean there's the old person that i am kind of jealous of but it's mostly because i'm like oh i wish i was that young um, and nothing more kind of meaningful than that but i think the kind of the whole point of fr- pride is to feel free to be yourself right and Pride is one place where I don't really feel that because, and I think if I was part of a, a kind of a clearer tribe, like I ha- I felt a personal connection to, I don't know, the bears, then it might be different because I could go along and I could be with another group of people who I had a personal connection to and who I self-identified with and say, we're all here together. We're beautiful acceptors. And, you know, although I look quite berry, I don't, have that kind of association partially because i'm not single and that you know i'm not looking for other bears to hook up with or anything so you know they're this kind of this collection of people i admire and i think are lovely but i don't kind of feel necessarily like i'm one of them because i'm not in that scene at all i think if i had that it would be quite different yeah maybe and it's interesting i think what you said about hooking up there as well because i think that's another part of it for me pride i mean you know, no um, dig on these people at all. If that's what they want to do, then sure. But I think, for me, my idea of pride is, you know, being a, like fully being able to express yourself and sort of loving who you are and whatever. I think a lot of people go to pride festivals these days to hook up, and if that's what you want to do, fine. But I, for me, like I don't feel like that's what it's about. So uh, again, that's another reason why I, I guess I don't really connect to it. Yeah, I think there are plenty of people for who that's not true. I think there's there's a lot of gay men who that's certainly true for. But I think the other stripes of the LGBT community might view it a bit differently. But even kind of beyond that, it's it's just I would I kind of feel 
like we would be better off if we could have like an LGBT plus metalheads group for Pride. Because as much as LGBT plus visibility in metal is a thing that needs to improve, I really feel like people who look like me need some representation in the queer community more. Like there's some punk visibility, sure, and there's a kind of a, a bit of general rock visibility, but kind of black clad long hairs and beardies and you know natural Slayer shirt wearers, <laughs> not so much. Uh, and I kind of I think I maybe should just try and organise a group of us for pride, one of the prides next Let's year. Listen to us, like come along with us. <laughs> oh fuck! I've kind of committed to it now. I? <laughs> oh no! I need it's on to the record now. <laughs> Oh God! Well, we'll we'll see if we can. You know, it'll either be one of the ones in the north or London, I suspect. But yeah, if we're gonna do this, fuck it, let's try and do it. Because you know, <laughs> I'd love Pride to be for me. Yeah, man. exactly. I don't really want to go and have the same kind of rejection that I've had before from different bits of the specifically gay community, the odd bi guy, but mostly gay men, and have that again at Pride because that's kind of there would be nothing worse than having your identity invalidated at the place where you're supposed to be validated. Exactly. Well, so it shall be written. Let's do it. (laughs) Well, I think we should march on from Pride anyway before we rain on their parade. Uh, This is all our opinions, obviously. Uh, If you have different experiences or opinions, you are welcome to get in touch for our social media channels. We may revisit this. Uh, But for now, we must move on. We shamble footsore but fabulous into the glittering grimness of the hate crew gay bar. Uh, for newcomers, this is where we've set up a heavy metal gay bar, stack the jukebox with all the obvious albums, but need to keep adding records to it in case the neighbours stop being scared. Uh, so every week we pick one recent album that we're mega into to add in, uh, although there's, if there's one thing we're both seriously into, we might unite on it. Uh, Matt. You've picked an album this week that I'm 100% sure would make you the most unpopular gay in the village if you ever put a song off it on in the bar. What the hell have you gone for, for this week, mate? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all our new listeners, I apologise. We've got a, a hell of a couple of albums for you this week. Um, yeah, I said to you yesterday that we are never, ever going to have a hate crew gay bar yeah, like this so week again, quite even if we try. <laughs> So I've brought in a California-based black metal sort of band or solo project, I can't quite tell, um, Wretch with their second album, All My Dreams Came True. Uh, this is an hour of incredibly awkwardly structured yeah, black metal, I guess, that uses a piano as its lead instrument and very little guitars. Uh, this is going to be very firmly not for a lot of people, but fuck is it for me. <laughs> Yes, um, very firmly not for a yeah. lot of people. I mean, again, longer-term listeners, you maybe uh, remember him. My affinity for both jazz and classical, so bringing those two things onto a canvas like this is going to tickle my pickle a lot of the time. Tom, I am worried that I might have given you a really horrible time with this. Um, I'm going to disagree with a couple of things you said. I First track one, right, the first track, I totally got the, oh, it's black metal played on the piano thing. 
then track two, it just goes completely mad. And I don't think that <laughs> anything from there on has any claim to be black metal at all. <laughs> it's it, I don't even hear, hear the jazz thing. It's just, it, to me, it's like the some of the weird, modern, with a capital M, classical, with a small C, music I played when I was trying and failing to be a classical violinist. <laughs> Only it's got, it seems to have got a, a drummer and a vocalist along the way. It's It's got much more in common with something like Stravinsky than it does Mayhem, for example. That said, I actually don't really care whether it's black metal or not because it's fucking great. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah, Didn't it's really good. <laughs> yeah, wow. it, it, it's 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 bonkers. It's yeah. totally crazy. It is mad. Yeah. Um. When I first said to you that this is my album, um, like a week or two ago, um, you looked on Metal Archives and saw that like their one line description. And she was like, "Oh God, I'm gonna either love this or hate this." So I'm, uh, I'm glad it's the former. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a significant period of time where I'm like, I don't know if I love it or hate mm-hmm. it because there's some yeah. bits where I'm going, "Oh, I hate this," and there were some bits where I'm going, "Oh, that's really nasty. I like it." And eventually, yeah. I just kind of the bits that I hated, I realised I did actually like. It was just kind of, I I like them in the same way that I like. I know, listen to Neurosis. It's kind oh, of like, good. yes, it's terrifying and and horrible, but it's brilliant. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned about the first song. Yeah, that is incredibly weird. But the second track, um, Scherzo, kicks off with the most scattergun, like, atonal piano you'll have heard in a long time. Parts of this album in whole, but particularly that track, remind me of the band The Paper Chase, and more so the really fucking discomforting album uh, Hide the Kitchen Knives. I mean, this is not nice music. If you're coming into this wanting to have a jolly time, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. It's incredibly unsettling, and I, I think a lot of people would really have to be in a certain mood to enjoy this. I mean, I love it all the time. I don't know what that says about me. Uh, I think it says that you should never, ever be allowed to pick songs for the jukebox for uh, Friday night. Yeah, it's fair. I think the thing I love about... You mentioned Scherzo. The thing I love about Scherzo is it is actually a Scherzo. It sounds like a Scherzo. It's obviously kind of post-1920 Scherzo rather than it is, you know, 1820 Scherzo. But it reminds me a lot of, of going to uni and in my first term trying to play Beethoven's Ninth with the orchestra, <laughs> getting to the second moment and thinking, oh shit, that's fast. Yep. It's it's really quick and sounds really challenging and it's all kind of atonal, you know, it's all chromatics as well. That's yep. the really thing. It's all kind of it's it's all kind of minor seconds. It's so insane. It's really unsettling. It is. Um, Severed, though, is interesting for me, because the track Severed, the fourth track on the album, because uh, it takes a bit of a different approach. It's synths and keyboards that take the lead rather than the piano for the first sort of five minutes. And it's a lot less intense and in your face. In parts, it's almost droney, um, almost ambient. And then from about five minutes towards, to the end of the song, which is like eight minutes later, it's very long. It's super jazzy, that one. Uh, I mean, even the tremolo guitars, though, in the, in the first part of that, when they come in, are a lot lower in the mix than they are in the other songs. I think this is the one song on the album that you could give to people and not completely freak them out, like, straight away. I think it does really well to break up the album, as well as it be in the middle track as well. I mean, yeah, it's still mad, but it's relative, isn't it? <laughs> but it's oppressive as well. It's like, um, it's, yeah, yeah. like it's, it's like genuine drone. It's, qu- it's really quite, yeah. you know, oppressive the thing the bit that i that really weirds me out every time i hear it the first thing every kid who picks up an instrument it was taught when i was that age 
was taught to play is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, right? Because it's actually, although it's kind of really simple melody and everyone knows it, it actually teaches you an awful lot of kind of real basic stuff about um, intervals and things. So mm. everyone heard that. And that crops up in uh, one of the songs called In Agony to the Earth and Heaven. It's, it's got a clear reference to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And I don't believe that's an accident because it's absolutely creepy as hell. Yeah, I know exactly which part you're on about, yeah. <laughs> Do you like John Oliver at all, who does Last Week Tonight? Um, yes. Yeah, okay, so you know he's done a couple of times that absolutely anything is terrifying if you put a uh, uh, a montage in slow motion with a small child singing Frere Jacques a cappella behind him, right? Absolutely yeah. <laughs> anything can be terrifying. Video of puppies, absolutely the most sinister thing in the world if you do that this has a similar kind of effect like if you put twinkle twinkle little star into avant-garde modern music with shrieking and drums it's mm. the most frightening piece of music ever written like mysticum and fucking nile and cannibal corpse and anyone else who's tried to be the most like brutal band in the world forget it this is one of the most frightening things you'll ever hear yeah it's it is really intimidating and it's just by using twinkle twinkle little star and fucking <laughs> around with it yeah, it is. It's a horrible album, and I fucking love it. Um, I think it's, it has enough variation as well that it the hour running time doesn't seem like an hour, even given how weird no, and dissonant true, yeah. a lot of it is. Um, you know, this could quite easily be a one trick pony, but I think they've done well to stay clear of that. But yeah, it's really good. This and also, I'm a big fan of the just howling near the end of the Darkling Thrush. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah, the vocals are horrible. Uh, yep. It's the kind of that's the only bit that that means it can have any claim to being black metal at all. I think apart from track one where it's mm. kind of it's the tremolo piano is very clever anyway i think that's probably enough sane jingling for now uh all my dreams came true by resh is in the jukebox now but please god no one ever put it on when with everyone else is trying to get drunk and have some fun uh now matt you know i hate conforming to stereotypes right uh-huh. <laughs> well to continue the battle against untrue stereotypes about gay men i have brought in an album this week which is basically like someone took pop dance music and mixed it with symphonic pop metal because i'm putting solace by neurotech in the jukebox this album is like someone crossed within temptation with a gay club matt are you into it you have absolutely ever dawned me here you prick um yeah oh, fucking hell honestly listeners who've been with us a while you may remember on my first ever episode tom's pick for the hate crew gave was an album called cleopatra by everdon which on my first listen i fucking hated by the time we talked about it on the pod, I was quite fun. Mate, on my first listen of this, I got, I think, halfway through track three and was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. And then the next <laughs> track came in, um, The Ashen Fields, which is great. So I managed yeah, to is. get through the album and each listen since, it's been growing on me like exponentially to the point where now I think five listens in, I, I can't even lie and say that I don't like this. I think this is really good. <laughs> yeah, I had a, sim- a similar kind of experience, except that I... I kind of started from a, a higher point because my first listen, I went, oh, that's quite interesting. I'll listen to that again later, see if I still like it or if it's just kind of a bit novelty. And the second time I I listened to it, I went, no, I really do like this. And then a week later, I'd realized I'd listened to it 10 times. You know, there are at least two <laughs> days where I listened to it twice in a day and I'm completely obsessed with it. My better half is also completely obsessed with it. It's It's so catchy and hooky and really fun. Yeah. Not an influence I ever expected to feature in the Hate Crew Gay Bar, but fuck me, there is so much Robert Miles in this. 
the piano is yes, all over this album takes so much from him. I, I don't think I've mentioned before, but I fucking love Robert Miles. Though. I mean, I think that helped it click with me. Um, but yeah, like you said, the other thing that really helps it click with me is that whether I wanted them to or not, the songs from this album have been stuck in my head all week. It is outrageously catchy. It is, isn't it? And it's like the, it, the, it really helps that he's got this really high and clear voice, which means it just kind of soars over all of the the kind of the poppy ditzy ca- chaos beneath. Well, it's not chaos actually; it makes total sense. But you know, the all the dancey stuff below, he soars above it. It's got that violet cold thing of being really euphoric, but whereas that's this kind of you know black metal dunt but blissing you out thing, this is pop make you want to dance thing it's just it's so much fun yeah i mean you know this it's funny because i think both of us maybe expected to come into this week's hickory gay bar and think that the other person wouldn't like their album but we've actually no i knew you'd like it really i had i was pretty confident after everdawn and after violet (laughs) cold i was pretty confident about this but what i think is interesting um that my pick this week is so not good for a club, yet this is like perfect for it. Yeah, this is Hey Crew Gay Bar like personified, you know. Yeah, this basically it. This is almost the signature album, really, isn't it? Mm. I, we cut. We we're very unlikely to so find anything that suits it better. <laughs> yeah, um, and like the, you you mentioned the the tunes, the the banging tunes factor is really high. Right, if you listen to it throughout, it actually works as a really kind of texture record, and it's got you know it does have changes of pace, and it's really good uh, in terms of you know m- giving you more than just a few hooks to focus on. But at the same time, it does have those massive bangers because you know, like Betides is this pumping dance number that would be a killer hate crew gay bar Friday night anthem. Meanwhile. You've got a song called later on in the album called "Defy Our Oath," which is basically like a metal version of one of the Pet Shop Boys' greatest hits, right? It's that's what it sounds like. It's so Neil Tennant. It's unbelievable. Mm. It's uh, and it's it's super it's superbly written as well, though, right? It's not just yeah. good hooks and electronics. You know, it is really well written. Um, I do have one criticism, and it's unfortunately not a small one. I don't think it sounds very good. Um, I don't want to be too harsh because I imagine the budget isn't the biggest or something like this. But some of the stuff that is attempted would just sound so much better if I think it was if it was a lot more vibrant. Um, I think the mix is all over the place. To be quite honest, I think a good producer on this album and it would be really like magnificent. Obviously, not going to happen. But imagine someone like Danger Mouse on this, how they would make it sound. I think it needs someone to really make the electronics and like all the swells really pop and this could be so much better than it already is. Like I said, I don't want to sound too harsh because it's great, but I think that will take it to the next level. Well, it's self-produced one man acts from Slovenia who doesn't have a label. So, you know, it's... It, Which is you, why I don't want to be too harsh. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to sound like Enter Shikari, right? But you know, actually, it, I would love them to get uh, Enter Shikari involved. No, in, that's what I mean, though. Yeah. Because I, I do think this is great. And like you said, the actual, how the songs are written themselves he really fucking knows what he's doing but if this really like shined then yeah it could be amazing i mean i don't mind the production i think as much as you you are but i i kind of do take your point that it could be you know it does sound like it it's not been very expensively made that said 
like there are some moments where I absolutely love what he's done with it. So the bit like in Waking Silence, where the kind of you've had this pounding four on the floor dance rhythm and it just stops, and then there's this teensy tiny bit of static, and then it comes back with this kind of euphoric descending arpeggio dissolving into the chorus. Mm. And actually, although it's you know it doesn't sound very expensive, what he's done is very very effective. So he's kind of he's maximised his budget extremely well. Um, put another way, it's not just that he's got a lovely instrument, he also really knows how to use it. Yeah, completely. Um, this is his third album, right? I think I saw I think so. You're testing yeah. me now. I'm going to have to look that up uh, and cheat. Uh, uh, no, sixth. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, he's got quite a lot. But I've this was a discovery to me, right? This was yeah. just something I saw mentioned. I saw the kind of the, the elevator pitch on a list of albums that were released and went, okay, I'll listen to that one again at a time because that sounds like it could be fun. Yeah. So do you think this has picked up a bit more traction then? I have no idea. I just... Because I'd hope... This... I mean, I'd hope that you get some money put into him now so that, you know, uh, album number seven is like... Oh, if fucking... If Amaranth can get the money they do, like I don't get me wrong, I, I don't mind Amaranth at all. But you know, you compare his songwriting to the, as you know, the songwriting on Amaranth is fine. It's the it's the gimmick that I find it, find a bit kind of less great with Amaranth. But you know, they're just good, right? They're not world class. Whereas you think, give this guy the same budget, and he I mean. could do something astonishing. Yeah. I can't believe what you've done to me here. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Just a. <laughs> Don't worry, we will get to, at some point we'll talk about Blind Guardian and your transformation will be complete. Uh, but I think I've harped on about symphonic bollocks enough for now. Uh, Solace by Neurotech is in the jukebox now. And while we will have more new music for you next week, or at least we will if Matt ever tells me what his pick is, for now that's just at the Hate Crew Gay Bar. That means time in Slovenian. We finished this week on a camp classic, and I completely lied about that being all the symphonic bollocks, uh, because this is where we take a work of heavy metal that spoke to us as queers and explain why. This week we're discussing probably the most famous song of possibly the best symphonic metal record ever made, which is, of course, Progenies of the Great Apocalypse from Dimmu Borgir's 2003 album Death Cult Armageddon. Matt, I don't think I've asked you this. Are you a Demon Burger fan? Um, to an extent. Um, I've not fully like gone into their back catalogue, but everything that I've heard from them, I do like. Um... Oh, do your playlist. It's fine. Oh God, not again. Yeah. I, oh, I think I didn't go on too well with that word in a playlist. I've got to say. Sorry. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Well, no, not fair enough. But you know, you you will accept you will accept how good Wardrina are at a later date. But for now, I'll I'll just indoctrinate you with the greatest hits of Dimmu Borgir. That's fine. Um, this song it's interesting actually because everything i've heard from them like i said i've liked before i don't think i'd ever heard this song which is really nice. wow because yeah. mm. you you know if this was used in the, in one of the trailers for hellboy like the guillermo del toro the good one oh, really? starring ron perlman yeah it was in the trailer oh, wow. that and uh eradication instincts defined off the same record were both mm. used in a hellboy trailer yeah because i remember like when i was younger or like you know 10 11 12 years ago when i was uh, like getting into metal um watching like around tv and scores and all that sort of stuff Dimmu Borgir were played so much so i would have thought i yeah. had seen this video uh, but I, I don't remember hearing this song before uh it might have been because it was on a bit later because i think there might have been boobs in it uh not the boobs no not but yeah we can't allow people to see boobs um oh, they might like them um 
It, it didn't work on me, obviously. Uh, I fucking adore Dimu. I mean, I wrote a massive blog in December about how much I love what they do and how much I want them to get back to it rather than making epica records like they did on Eonian. And actually, I just wrote that blog because I wanted to do it. I, well, no one asked me to. I just went, I'm going to stick this on my own blog because I have to write about it. They make gr- grandiosity sound hostile and manage to make music that's really accessible while still being powerfully odd in a way that I don't think anyone else can. Uh and obviously this song rules doubly so because Abbott does the opening lines. But enough about my immortal obsession. Uh, Matt, is there anything about this that you find queer? Well, it's an interesting one because when um, you alluded to this on the pod like last week or week before, um, you seem to make it sound like it would be quite obvious. And no, not really. Like, musically, it's, I mean, incredibly bombastic, isn't it? You know, the sort of piano. So you like, spotted it immediately. Oh, is that is that what it is this time? I mean, on these, I always look first for lyrics. Um, I tend to focus on that. I, I and then I completely undercut your profundity by going you know, really bass. Just sounds gay, doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously, because it's dimmy, all the lyrics are about Satanism and esoterica and stuff. I don't understand a fucking word of it. Um, and while I could do a big deep dive into the connection and crossover between Satanism and Luciferianism and us gays, um, I don't really want to do that. But there is definitely some of that in it, right? Like, lyrics like, consider the God we could be without the grace, could really be interpreted as, imagine how much fun we could have if we just mm. ignore re- religious dogmatism and shag men, or, you know, whatever your 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 preference that the church says don't do you know there is certain amount of that right before we get into the into the the you know more juvenile stuff which i'm gonna get to yeah sure um yeah i did pick up on a couple of lines as well as well as that one um in the bridge i guess uh we who yearn to preserve our liberation i mean that sort of thing as well you know that like all we just want to be able to do is fucking be free and have fun like you know just let us do that and we who aspire to the truth and pursue its strength, like, you know, we know what it's about. Come on. We face darkness in our hearts no, don't do that. with a solemn fire. Yeah, that's the point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that bit where he just where he kind of he kind of speak croaks. It's a great bit of the song. Oh, I love this song so much. Sorry, that's good. Can you tell that I really like this song and this band and this album? I picked up on it. Yeah, I mean, this like I, I, I we are here to talk about the song and why it's camp, but. Death Cut Armageddon, man, is such a fucking... It's one, it's one of my genuine, like, top ten ever records. Some of those things I have to think, oh, would I really have space for that? Death Cut Armageddon, I'd find some room. Something would go for it. It's, it's absolutely fucking flawless, start to finish, brilliant. Just so many absolute, instantly memorable songs, brilliant melodies. It goes from kind of high camp to really quite intense and grim. It's got some really fucking great riffs. It's always underappreciated how good Shagrath and Gulder are at playing the guitar. Like they are proper riff lords when they choose to be. It's just because it's there's so many strings over the top of Shagrath. it. It's sometimes missed. Shagrath is the lead singer. Sh- yeah, I don't mean Shagrath. I don't. Re- no, no, no. Shagrath is in Lord of the Rings. He was an orc in Lord of the Rings. I don't mean Shagrath. I mean Silenos. I don't know why I said Shagrath. <laughs> I yeah. don't know why I said that. They, they don't look alike at all. They have quite different names. They do very different things. Silenos or Sven is uh, the guitarist. I can't keep up with all these early stage names. Oh, well, I mean, Shagrath has actually commented on that in the past because someone pointed out 
it, like when this album was around that oh did you name yourself after Lord of the Rings and he went yes I did but it, back in the day no one liked Lord of the Rings so it was kind of cool and underground <laughs> um, and we and you know who was the most famous member of the black metal foot second wave who was mega 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 into Lord of the Rings famously is that a question for me I don't know anything about yes. Lord of the Rings no but you know about the black metal thing the stabby Nazi the stabby oh, right. Nazi is I the one who was course obsessed. It would be. Right. Yeah, like he's yeah. So it's kind of it. Um, that kind of ruined you know the the um, viability of of black metal stage names from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But unfortunately, Shagrath got that before the stabbing happened. So you know he was stuck with it. Um, and then Lord of the Rings became like the biggest movie of all time at that that point, and it kind of changed the impression. Anyway, none of that has anything to do with why it's this song is camp. This song is a camp classic because it's campers fucking knobs with flashing red balls. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, it is the music in it. Like, it's so bombastic. It's so you campy with all the fucking strings and the flutes and shit like that. Um, I mean, even the vocals as well in some parts. In the um, the first zero tolerance line, you know, morbid angel where the slime live. It sounds course, like that yeah. sort. Yeah, it sounds like that sort of vocal, which is you know inherently fucking i mean i hate that song but <laughs> it's, it's it oh really like camp, it? yeah i hate it I oh like oh it. yeah david vincent was camp as hell when he was mm. in um morbid angel like it, no, it was always underappreciated how much of an enormous ham he was just <laughs> it was just it was just a total queen on stage fabulous and mm. yeah that was partly why morbid angel when he was in the band was so phenomenal live because you just looked at david vincent and went yeah he is he is living it up um, and then he decided he wanted to make an industrial record, and everyone hated him because, yeah, because you know, Devine and Insane as fucking hell, man. That was just like I know there have been some revisionist attempts to say, oh no, it's actually quite good. No, it's fucking <laughs> awful. Yeah, there were at the time. Like there were some people oh, yeah. at the time who were trying to say, oh, it's really good, and I went, no, all of it's terrible. <laughs> In fact, some of the industrial stuff is like the, the bad Rob Zombie songs are not the worst things on the album. The death metal is the worst things mm. on the album because it's really bad death metal. Anyway, we're not here to talk about more of Angel, but I st- I'm still angry about that record. It's been 10 years and I can't let, let it go. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, I totally get the David Vincentisms because it is yeah. like melodrama. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, the bridge as well. It's, he does that voice again. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's so much, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, there is you know, big sweeping melodramatic strings are all across it. And if there's one thing we gays aren't shy of, it's drama and you know i personally love all that shit i love melodrama i love theatrics i love high camp stuff you know there is i when i kind of watch stuff on telly or movies i do want kind of big emotions i do want people to be heroic or to be proper villains it's partly why everyone fucking love game of thrones right it's like there are so many people who are genuinely over the top and ridiculous and this is kind of doing the same thing and that show was you know campus tits and uh, for lots of different reasons though depressingly little of the of the gayness from the books made it in it was a little bit but not enough um but moving on from that there's also like huge show-stopping choruses which, you know, if it wasn't singing about something that's a cult that I don't understand, could quite easily have jumped straight out of a musical. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've 
we've spoken many times about our sort of the queer link to musical theatre and stuff like that, and this is very much that. And just yeah, musically as well, with with all the sort of bells and whistles, with all the embellishments, it's so intense. It's so it's in your face all the time, isn't it? And you know that's a lot of the sort of LGBT stuff, or like again, not one to stereotype, but a lot of us can, uh, you know, like you said, very. I want to say high maintenance, but very. You're just saying that about me, Matthew, aren't oh, you? I'm trying not to make it obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of us. Are, well, I'm right. I have this theory about why some gays are high maintenance. It's because so many of us have felt so insecure for so long that we kind of we do crave a bit of a bit of affection and attention and reinforcement because so many of us kind of really struggle to feel that we really were accepted for so long either because we were hiding who we were and therefore kind of would like our identity validated a bit or because we were in a in a glass closet and felt that we were being rejected because we were obviously gay and you know because of that there are going to be a bunch of us and this is you know this isn't just gay men this is actually going to apply to a lot of the lgbt community we are going to perhaps be a bit more insecure we are going to you know need a little bit more kind of validation because we haven't necessarily experienced it. It's partially why people with people from the LGBT plus community are so much more prone to mental health problems. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess I can sort of see that because then if you if you then are accepted or if you then accept yourself, if you come out or whatever, it is you know can be quite liberating and can be quite freeing, and you're able to express a lot of parts of yourself which were before hidden and can I don't know like I don't want to say overcompensate, but it's you finally realizing that you can be all these things that you want it to be where straight people have never had that problem and it can be quite intense you know like a lot of a lot of the emotions and a lot of like how you present yourself can be quite intense yeah and i i i'm not saying i'm high maintenance but i certainly like a bit of amateur not amateur dramatics but i like a bit of melodrama not too much in my personal life but I do certainly kind of feel that it is kind of nice to for people to pay attention to you for good reasons because it's sometimes the case that you've kind of had to shy away from it. Maybe that's just me. Moving it back to Timmy Borker though, I don't know if you have you seen them at any point in the last kind of ten years. Um, well, I live. I mean, yeah, I've never seen them live. Okay, they've gone through various kind of looks throughout the years but they then got to the point in about 2010 2011 where it wasn't just that they had looks it was that they would change looks or shagrath would change looks mid-show and that it was quite not at all uncommon for him to go off stage and come back on to do progeny's the great apocalypse and he changed <laughs> from his you know one era outfit to another and it was a little bit kylie yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, I was sort of thinking Gargoyle more sort of my era, but yeah, like, a lot of those pop artists, and especially the sort of gay icon, I guess, pop artists do have acts of their shows, don't they, where they have a whole different fucking stage set up and a whole different um, attire for different songs that they play. So that's definitely a thing. Yeah, and th- you know, th- obviously that's something that's great. It is kind of, it's a bit weird seeing it in a supposedly still black metal band um i'm not convinced the last album was too much for black metal record but you know aside from my kind of prejudices and 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 nerdy obsessions with you know defining stuff the costume changes is really camp and because of 
I've now seen them in, do that enough times. My, I have this kind of costume changey association with them, and this is this is the obvious song because it's the most OTT. Yeah, that's interesting actually what you say about that because I obviously I've never seen Demi, so I wouldn't have known that. But saying it, it sort of reminds me of uh, Beamoth do that, and we'll have haven't seen them a couple of times. I've actually thought that at the time when they've been doing that, I'm like that is a bit sort of reminiscent of what I've seen a lot of you know pop artists and whatever do. <laughs> Yeah, you know who you know who pioneered that in in kind of rock and metal doing the, the large number of costume changes to go from one era for, to another in terms of his look. Do I? Probably gonna yeah. say it. Yeah, it's Marilyn Manson. Yeah, we don't talk. Who about we're him. not gonna talk about, <laughs> but the, it when he did it, it was kind of looked down on quite badly and seen as something that was lame. Now a lot of people have felt that about Dimmu Borgir. Because they're like, oh, you're supposed to be Satanist. You're not a clothes horse. You're not a model. You're not Kylie Minogue. Um, mm. And I'm going, it is sort of lame. But after a while, they go from just being black metal artists to just being that metal band. I like it. And I like it a lot more. Um, I wish yeah. they, they had been, unfortunately, been a bit crap live in that time. But that's more to do with kind of not having a backing singer in the band and, and having backing tracks on stage for vocals, mm. which is just, don't do that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if, if having a lyric book on stage, just so in case he forgets the word. Like that, <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Yeah, and, you know, it also it's also unfortunate that a load of their albums were recorded by drummers who are incredibly fast, and they've never really found someone to replace them. Like, the, right. the guy they've got at the moment, he's a good drummer, but in terms of just raw speed, he can't quite keep up with the really fast stuff, which I always yeah. think is a bit kind of noticeable. Anyway, that's kind of, let's not finish on a bum note. Um, overall, though, it's simply that metal sometimes is really camp. And this song is really camp, not in a kind of profound, meaningful way, which allows us to talk about our experiences, uh, although it actually has. Um, it's just because it's really over the top and it's brilliantly shiny. It's a podcast, Tom. Metal is gayest hits. <laughs> yes. Welcome, you people. <laughs> and the more black metal you are, the more mm. gay you are. I mean, Dimmu Borgit aren't the gayest black metal band out there by a very long stretch. Mm. They might be the minciest, but they're certainly not the gayest. Um, but we will talk about that. Actually, we should do, talk about that, should, that at some point. If black metal is the gayest bit of metal, which is the gayest black metal band, that could be a long conversation because, God, we've got a lot of candidates. Yeah. It could be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and some of the bands really wouldn't like it. And most of the bands who wouldn't like it are ones who we would be quite happy to annoy anyway. So let's t let's definitely do that. <laughs> well, I think that's about as much fabulous as I can handle right now. So I think we must unfortunately draw a line under Progeny's The Great Apocalypse by Dimmu Borgir. Don't forget you can find a Spotify playlist of all the songs we've nominated as Camp Classics on our website. Uh, there's also uh, another playlist sampling all the albums that have gone into the Hate Gay Bar uh, jukebox. Uh, I think there's one that hasn't because it's not on Spotify, but other than that, they're all there. Uh, but that's all we've got time for this week. Matt, as always, it's been a sp absolutely splendid chatting bollocks with you. Yes, thank you, Mr. Thomas, and thank you to everyone else for joining us. We promise that next week's Hate Gay Bar won't be quite as mental. And also, yeah, it will actually be my first ever interview, so please go easy on me. Yeah, we will we will try. Although I have no idea what's going into next week's Hate Brigade Bar jukebox from your side. I know what's going from my side, but you haven't told me yet. So there's a, a I'm not sure I believe you that it will be less mental oh, yet. Come on. 
like I got out of bed like an hour and a half ago. Behave. I haven't had time to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. But you know, um, I'm I'm until you tell me what it is, I'm going to be very very nervous because I'm going to be thinking, <laughs> is he going to try and outdo himself after this week? But no, hopefully not. Uh, but anyway, until next Monday, uh, listen to Wretch, listen to Neurotech, and remember, it does get better. Later. Goodbye.